what motivates you? What are the things that really energize you and get you going? If perhaps you knew at the end of the school year there was a new iPad promise to the best math student in the class, you might be motivated to do a little extra work in math to achieve that. If you knew that on the day after Thanksgiving, the best sales of the year will be held in your favorite store, you might stand in line two or three hours if you were so motivated. You know, what happens is that what we see at the end, if it is something important to us and worthwhile, will motivate us toward that end. The greatest motivation possible is that that we have before us in today's lessons for this next to the last Sunday of the church year. The coming again of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, his promised return. Is there a greater motivation than that, that Christ will come back again and take us to be with himself for all eternity? That's the emphasis today and next Sunday and for a few Sundays after that in Advent. As the church year draws to a close and we begin to think of what it means that the end of time is always at hand, always there. We don't have to wait to the end of the church year to think about that. But today we want to think about that in such a way that we let the end, as we keep it in mind, motivate how we live now. The day is coming. No question. The Christ who came at Bethlehem was born as a baby and grew up three years on this earth as a man who suffered and died for us and who ascended into heaven. He is coming back. The one who created the whole universe and you and me. The Savior who was promised throughout the Old Testament. The one who did come, and his name was Jesus, because he would save his people from their sins. He's coming again, the one who lived on this earth a perfect life to fulfill all righteousness for us. He's coming again, the one who took our place on the cross and bore our sins in his body. He's coming again, the one who rose from the dead to give us victory and an eternal hope. The one who ascended to heaven to the throne of his Father to rule and reign over all things. He's coming again, the one who sent the promised Holy Spirit to be with us. He's coming again. And so let there be no doubt, our Lord and Savior who promised As he ascended into heaven, the same way you see me go, I'm going to come again, but next time in power and in glory. We don't know when. All efforts that people have made throughout the ages to discern the times and try to figure it all out and have predicted and have encouraged people to sell what they have and don white robes and go to mountaintops and stare at the heavens waiting for that hour... It hasn't happened and it won't. We cannot figure out when our Lord will return because it's known only to him. And wisely so because if he had told us, you know what would happen. 
We would wait till the last minute to get ready. And so it is because we don't know when he will come again, we are to be ready continually at all times for his sudden return in glory and in power, not in humility as was his first coming. And when he comes back again, it will be for the purpose of judgment. As we say, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. The dead in Christ will be raised first, and those who are alive when Christ comes will be caught up to meet him in the air. And so we shall be forever with the Lord. And his coming again will end everything, won't it? Time will cease. This world and the universe as we know it will pass away. And he will make a new heaven and a new earth fit for eternal habitation. All of the suffering and all of the pain of life that we experience and go through and hear about in the news, that will all be gone. The deception and the lies of Satan will be no more. There will be only redemption that draws near for us as God's people. And Christ will do what the scriptures say that he will do. He will deliver the kingdom, won by his death and resurrection, to the Father, and say, Father, it's now finished. Receive the people for whom I died and rose again, and who trust me. I think you would say this morning, that's something to get excited about. Something that would motivate you. Something that would give you energy, not just for one day, but for life. And that's the way the scriptures urge us to see the coming again of Christ. Some people use it as a scare tactic. To frighten people into some kind of action or behavior. The Bible does not use the scriptures that way. To frighten people by Jesus coming again into turning toward him. Yes, there is fear if we do not believe in him, but the scriptures use his second coming as something we can look forward to, anticipate with joy, because we believe in him. We know him as the one who died for us and the one who will come again for us. You know, that changes the way we look at history. There are a lot of people today who view history in this way. We're we're evolving. We're moving toward the future, getting better and better, toward some kind of greater perfection. Or some view history as though it's just repeating. We're like in a squirrel cage. It's going around and around and around. No beginning, no ending. There's no purpose or goal or direction. That's not at all how the scriptures present history and God's plan in history. History is God's story, his story, his story in ours. And God's history has a direction and a goal. God's time is always toward a purpose, toward an ending, toward a fulfillment. And that's how we Christians view history. It's not just a straight line forward. There are ups and downs. You know the news and you know how we live. But it's moving toward an end, God's end, the fulfillment. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We don't know when that will be. But God has given us signs. And the lessons for today talk about those signs. There will be signs in the heavens, in the cosmic universe, 
And there will be signs among people like wars and rumors of wars. And all of these signs are intended to keep our attention, to make us aware. We hear of something and we see something and we realize this is not our forever place. That God has given us these signs so that we will wake up and look up and anticipate what is yet to come. Jesus said, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. When we see these things and we hear about these things, we can lift up our heads and know, as Jesus said, that our redemption is drawing near. When the news gets so bad, we imagine how can it get any worse? And when we wonder, what is this world coming to? We need to remember who is coming back, our Lord and our Savior. That motivates us to live in history with hope, to look forward and anticipate with great joy there is a fulfillment and a plan. I know personally that some of you are dealing with some difficult issues in your lives or the lives of your loved ones right now. And perhaps we all have that to deal with. And as we deal with these things, either personally or with others, our hope begins to wane. We begin to lose something that that helps us to look up and forward. The second coming of Christ is that motivator that when we see things that are difficult to explain or to accept, lift your head, look up, your redemption is drawing near. The second coming of Christ also motivates us to live each day of life with the end in mind. You know, that was a problem at Thessalonica. Paul had to write the second lesson that we heard read today to the people at Thessalonica because some of them believed that it wouldn't be long until Jesus returned and they just quit work. They stopped working. They stopped laboring. They just sat around. Paul said, instead of being busy for the Lord, they became busy bodies. Instead of doing the Lord's work, they meddled into the affairs of others. They gossiped. They intruded. And they were disruptive to the church to such an extent that Paul had to write this letter to them and say, If any would not work, neither should he eat. He had to say as an apostle, I command you in the Lord's name, quit this foolishness. Because it is disrupting the church when you do not work or productively use your life in reference to the Lord's coming again. And so we see how this is a call to us to use each day, each moment of life, productively and for the Lord's purpose with the end in mind. I have to tell you this morning that when I hear this and I think of my own heart and my own life, there's some house cleaning that needs to be done some heart cleaning that needs to take place. 
For I am sure that in each and every one of our lives and hearts, there are things that are hindering or getting in the way of lifting up our heads and with joy anticipating the second coming of Christ. We become so preoccupied with the stuff of life, with the little things and not the important things. We become wrapped up in what is good for us. And that's part of what this text is intended to do. It helps us and motivates us by the power of the Spirit to repent and turn from those things that hinder our Lord coming into a heart prepared and ready and to turn to Him and receive the forgiveness that He won for us, that He would create in us clean hearts and renew in us right spirits. But even more than just repenting, the second coming of Christ calls us to live positively. Paul told the people at Thessalonica, don't be weary or tired in well-doing. Don't sit down on the job. Keep going. When Martin Luther was once asked, if Christ were to return tomorrow, what would you be doing? He said, I'd plant a tree. Indicating that the thing we should be doing are the normal things of life that God calls us to do in view of his coming again. We are called to be wise and faithful managers of everything that God entrusts to us until the owner comes back and asks for an accounting. That's how Jesus tells the parables. We are to be about the Lord's work serving others and our neighbor and glorifying God. We are to be encouraging one another when we are bowed down by the cares and weights of life and we need somebody to come alongside of us and pick us up and encourage us. We are to be doing that with the end in mind that the Lord is coming back. And when we see things around us just coming apart and chaotic, we are to bear witness, Jesus says, in that time. We're living in such a time. I heard just this past week that there is a new group forming in this country. It has moved over from the UK. It's a mega church for atheists. Atheists are now forming churches to counter the Christian faith. There's a group now meeting in Nashville. We're in the midst of that kind of world and we are to bear witness boldly, confidently, knowing that Christ is Lord and will return. And what about those who can't be with us today? What about those who are in the hospital or in a nursing home or an assisted living care unit? What about those who can't be active about the Lord's work? Can they do anything to get ready? You can watch. You can pray. And still from a bed, you can give witness. Just as Bob Gaunt has been doing in his assisted living place and starting a new Bible class. You don't have to be in church and active every day to be doing something that will bear witness to the fact that the Lord reigns and he will come again. And so on this next to the last Sunday of the Christian church year, we come together and we realize with the end in mind 
That makes a difference how we live with hope and joy and purpose. With the end in mind, there is a question and a prayer. The question is, Lord, today? And the prayer is, Jesus, come quickly.